0: Welcome back to another episode of Not All at Once. I'm Jordan Guess,
1: and I'm Kendall Y.
0: All right, we're back for the second time this week. Uh, today is Thursday, June 16th. Because I know the news is moving quickly, so um, just so everyone kind of knows, we're we are on the East Coast in the morning. Um, we decided to do to do today a little early, so a little earlier than what we normally do.
1: Yeah, it's. It is a bit early right now. I feel like I'm still sort of waking up.
0: Yeah, no, you're good. You didn't, you aren't just like rocked awake after uh, what happened in the Federal Reserve yesterday.
1: (laughs) That that was a good segue. (laughs) That's our first topic is order.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So just give a quick overview. We'll talk about what happened yesterday with the, um, Fed funds rate. Um, and then we will, we're going to talk a little bit of politics. Um, there's a bipartisan bill out there that would affect crypto quite a bit. And then um, the the last thing, we're finally able to talk about it because uh, the lawsuit was filed last Friday um, in the Sixth Circuit Court. And uh, yeah, it, um, uh, it affects pretty much some things on crypto with the infrastructure bill. It's essentially suing the US Treasury. Uh, there's an organization out of DC called Coin Center that is suing the US Treasury over a piece of the infrastructure bill from last year. So we will talk about that since now it's common knowledge.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, well, let's get into it. Talk, okay. They'll talk us through yesterday. There was uh, every, I mean, cause the markets have been trading on, on pretty much what happened yesterday, trying to figure out what was going to happen, you know, before it actually happened. Right. So.
1: Yeah. Give markets, us the rundown. Markets are always forward, forward looking. Never forget. Don't forget that. It's easy to get caught up and be like, Oh, what's the, how's the market reacting? And really that basically that almost never occurred, never occurs. It's always what will happen. Mm-hmm. Um. So, like, for example, on Monday morning, really it started on Sunday. The, f- the futures open the previous evening. And so Sunday evening is whenever a lot of the trading really actually begins. Um, so Sunday evening, things were just blowing up. Like, that's when Bitcoin crashed. Um, a lot of tech stocks began to crash. Risk assets began to crash, right? Um, and then fast forward to yesterday, which was Wednesday, and we got the FOMC meeting. Federal Reserve um meets about once a month, and they talk about what they're doing and whatever whatever BS they talk about. <laughs> um, and uh, there was expected to be. A 50 basis points, rake height, 50 basis points is a half of a percent. Um, But it came out. 50
0: bips, right?
1: 50 bips. You'll hear bips, (laughs) basis points. Some people even just say points, but. um, The lingo, gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Language of its own. (laughs) So it was expected to be 50 basis points. Turned out to be seventy-five basis points. Anyway, just to close off my previous thoughts or previous uh, points, the reason the reason why the market crashed earlier earlier this week was because some people probably knew that it was going to be a higher than expected rate hike, which is bearish for risk assets, because as interest as the cost of capital rises, then. Um, people adjust the risk profiles, which basically means that they move out of high risk assets, which means that they go down in, in U S dollar value. Um, yeah. but so anyway, that was that what was interesting was, I mean, really the interesting thing in my opinion was you had a little bit of a bullish response, even though, mm-hmm. so this is the counterintuitive part, right? Um, you, you, they they raise rates higher than expected, so you would expect a um, a bearish reaction. But again, remember, markets are forward looking; they don't react in the current moment. And so that bullish response, in my opinion, what that means is um, it's a vote of confidence. It's it's basically their market saying um, that was the correct move. You you were supposed to exceed our expectations. And, um, it all comes down to certainty if they, um, yeah, raising rates higher than expected, um, increases certainty in the markets. And so,
0: yeah. And a lot of people have been saying that they were too slow to raise rates, you know, from the get go, like that they should have, um, paused QE, uh, quantitative easing last year, not this year. And that they actually should should have started this rate raising um, a while back. So I think the fact that they're kind of like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna increase it more this time. I think that that is uh, people are like, okay, at least they're at least they're coming back to, or they're trying to correct for what they should have done probably months ago.
1: Well, yeah, slow would be an understatement. Yeah. Um, they are so far behind the curve that it it begs questions. Um, like, yeah. But But, uh, I mean,
0: at the end of the day, it's like we, but the, the issue is like, we've never had the debt this high, so we can't go too quickly because then all the new debt is pretty much the interest rate is higher and the, then the debt service, the interest expense is much higher. And, um, Yeah. And then it's like, well, do you have to print more money to, to make up for that? Or do you have to raise taxes? So.
1: Yeah. I mean, it comes down to financial repression. Like in my opinion, the reason why they're so far behind the curve is because it was intentional. Hmm. Maybe not quite this intentional. I mean, maybe not quite this far, but it was intentional to a degree because they wanted inflation to run hot in order to inflate away the debt. And we've yeah. talked about, we've talked about that before. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but I do know, I follow people that are, and that's number one thing to talk about is the debt to GDP ratio. And, um, the problem is the problem is being able to pay our bills. Like, cause we have so many entitlement programs that are, our government does when I say our, I mean, the U S government, they have so many bills to pay basically that, um, the cost of capital has to be very cheap in order to to pay those bills. And actually it's not necessarily, I don't think it's necessarily even interest rate that, that drives that, um, calculation. It's that a lot of our tax receipts are based on the stock market basically. So right. if we crash the stock market, then we crash tax receipts, meaning we don't have a, enough money, right?
0: Right. I mean, yeah, it's, it's actually, yeah, that's an interesting counterintuitive counter point as well. Is like, yeah, you raise rates, business, businesses have to close because, you know, businesses have been operating now for over a decade on really low, cheap, low interest, uh, cheap debt, right? And now if they are going to have to have a larger hurdle of um, interest in order to take on that debt, then it's like, well, we can't operate the same way. So do we have to raise prices? Do we have to cut other expenses? You know, is that cutting some jobs, which we've already seen? Literally, I walked in, I walked into, um, it was not yesterday, it was two days ago when the Coinbase layoffs happened. And literally one of my very good friends who works at Coinbase, he got laid off on Tuesday morning, I think it was. So that's, you know, those those are other just like ripples, right? And obviously Coinbase is its own animal, but just take take crypto out of it just generally, right? If companies are looking around at their financial situation and they're like, well, our interest expense is up because of things we can't control. So what are other costs that we can cut um, that are within our control? Um, So, And that's kind of where we see this potential like high inflation, higher unemployment and lower economic growth, which is the, you know, the core pillars of uh, of stagflation environment. So that's the thing I think I'm most um, worried about right now. Um, And I get a lot of people just a lot of people I think are really worried. I'm getting people who are never ask me about money stuff. Um, you know, just given what I do for a living, people just assume I kind of know things, which, um, may or not be, may or not may be, or may not be a good assumption, but, um, you know, just trying to help people think through personally, I was, how this all affects you, but then also on a broader like market, like what we're talking about, how it affects the broader, um, market. So anyways,
1: I have a question for you.
0: Yeah. Let's hear it.
1: What do you think that, uh the like the, the true market selected cost of capital is like what's the true interest rate think about it think about it from perspective of a mortgage so like what's the tr- you know mortgages during covid dropped down to like 2.5% mm-hmm. obviously that is insanely artificially low right in my in my opinion because this doesn't match the risk associated with being able to repay that debt yeah.
0: It's, your, a hard, yeah, it's a hard question plan? because um, because inflation is so is is so deeply tied to that question. If if housing actually if housing was still um, if housing pretty much was still cheap, then I would say the interest rate could be probably close to ten percent, and people would be like, "That's fine." And I'm saying like you could still go out and buy a, a nice house for a hundred thousand dollars. Now that is out of the question, right? And prices, because of inflation, the price prices of homes have gone through the roof, and therefore people have had to rely on low interest rates in order to be able to afford a home, which has been like, you know, since the Bill Clinton days, that is like the definition of middle class, right? Can you afford to buy a home and, uh, and pay it off over 30 years? <clears throat> so- I would say I probably can't answer that question just because the price um, manipulation of the real estate market is so just out of control and has been for a long time, I would say just manipulated. Right. I mean, it's like in a perfect world, if we live in a free market, right. Then it's like, well, what is the true price of a home? And obviously that's on a local basis. And then, what is the interest rate that I'm willing to pay for that reasonably priced home? So, but if the price on the home is unreasonable on the, on the uh, upper end, then it's like, well, I need an unreasonable low interest rate in order to, in order to uh, compensate for that. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know what I'm saying? The, it's kind of tough. Yeah.
1: yeah, no, definitely. Um, Cause I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the bond bond charts right now.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean like personally for me like if I was going to try to buy a house right now I would want the price to come down to compensate for the higher interest rate. But mm-hmm. the problem is I don't now we're talk let's just talk locally in in Louisville. I don't think Louisville Kentucky the real estate market is going down um just because there's still all the people I talk to in real estate here they, they say the uh the supply is still not keeping up with the demand of housing in our city. Hmm. So, so that makes me think, okay, well, prices aren't coming down, but the so interest price, rate's going prices Prices
1: probably get wrecked in the more expensive cost of living areas and the cheaper cost right. of living areas. They, they're more robust. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, so the other thing I was, I was curious about um, my understanding is, so I'm, I'm looking at like the treasuries right now. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is that, well, I know this. So like whenever you see uh, treasury yields go up, that means that bonds are selling off. So it's, it's um, it's actually bad for the chart to go up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this causes is I'm curious if you know anything about this. I don't know enough about it. That's why I'm curious. I saw
0: a good tweet about this, actually, because so I was um, talking with a friend up in Chicago. He messaged me on on Monday morning and he said, I thought Bitcoin was an inflation hedge. (laughs) And then I said, turns out nothing is in the short term. Gold is only up 1.5% year to date, yielding a negative 7% return um bitcoin's still trading like a tech stock i'm fine with it since my time horizons 30 plus years love seeing these prices though increasing my weekly dollar cost average as we speak then he said back 10 year t-bills my friend and i said to him to each their own (laughs) Mm. and um and then he but then i sent him this twitter post or this tweet from this guy named charlie by we, we can link this in the um, we can link it in the show notes, but essentially he tweeted out. This was on Monday, I think um, he said the last eight times the S&P 500 was down in a calendar year. Bonds finished the year up, cushioning the blow. Very different story thus far in 2022 with stocks and bonds both down over 10 percent, something we've never seen. 6040 is down 14.8% on pace for its worst year since 2008.
1: Oh my gosh. That was imagine, pretty crazy. Imagine if you're like imagine you're 45 years old and you've been saving a 401k for 25 years and you have you had a million dollars in your in your 401k beginning of the year but now you have $850,000 in it. And you, you, you see these headline inflations, which are 8.5%. So really you're actually more like $800,000, right? Yeah. It's not a good, that's not a good feeling. No. Um, but uh, the thing I think to keep an eye on is emerging markets. So I don't know anything about it, but um, that's where things start to break first is You know, it's actually places like El Salvador, the places that those are the places that break first.
0: Mm -hmm. And you're talking about where their economy, where their economy collapses and inflation runs hot. Yeah. And they pretty much just turn into, it just turns into chaos.
1: Right. Because they have collateral shortage because treasuries are the, are the most common form of collateral. And, um, if the dollar, if the dollar, if the price of the dollar goes up, yeah, then they can't it's afford back. their dollar-denominated yeah. debt. Yeah. They can't, they can't afford their collateral, and so they have to start selling. And then I think that that just causes more sell pressure <clears throat> on the treasuries, which that's when, if you have like a ginormous sell pressure on the treasuries, that's when the U.S. government and the Fed will step in because that's the thing that they can't can't allow to break. I'm actually looking at the chart right now over from 1980 to right now of the U.S. 10-year, and it's a downward-facing slope. Um, Most people were of the opinion that there was a trend line that the Treasury couldn't get above roughly two and a half it's currently sitting at three and a half. So it broke the trend line. Mm. Um, and so what's really happening is uh, it was, you know, really in to, about 2012 is when the new generation of treasuries started to, started to to play out. I would say just looking at the chart, just so back at the napkin technical analysis, if the 10-year goes north of 4%, then we're in really hot, we're in hot water. And if it breaks, I mean, there's no way I, there's no way this happens, but if it breaks 5%, then you, no, you said it, you said it. I mean, if it breaks 5%, I wouldn't be surprised to see a global depression. That's the degree of. You're looking importance. at the 10 year
0: that's sitting at 3.4 right now.
1: I'll share my screen. Yeah. Okay, you, you can see, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So, I see. You see, around two thousand twelve is when two. See, so, you know, the global financial crisis really kicked off in 08, but mm-hmm. it wasn't. They took it took several years for them to really start to figure things out, and it wasn't until late eleven into twenty twelve that things really flushed out of the system. So you're talking about a four-year lull period mm-hmm. where things just like were stagnant. And um, so right around that period is where you see the new establishment of the cost of capital. Um, and so basically I'm looking at that number, like that, the, that, the height of that number. If, that, if we start to break what happened after the global financial crisis, then I think that Houston, we have a problem.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about some good news. You want to switch over and talk about some of that?
1: Yeah, go for it.
0: Okay. So let's start with, um, we're going to start with, I'm going to butcher the name again, I'm sure. Cynthia. By the way,
1: I think it it is a hard G. I think I was wrong. Okay.
0: So Gillibrand. Gillibrand. Okay. So Mm -hmm. Senator senators uh cynthia lomas from wyoming republican and um kirsten gillibrand democrat from new york so they are um they have teamed up to essentially craft a crypto bill that um attempts to answer a lot of questions um so we're gonna just go over briefly you know i don't want to spend too much time on it mostly because the odds of it passing This year or even next year are low, but um, it is a step in the right direction. And the thing I'm most excited about is that it's a Republican and a Democrat who are, um, what do they call it, co-sponsoring or just says it's a bipartisan um, bipartisan bill. So that part I love. I love. I know we've talked about that before, making sure that um, Bitcoin does not turn into this like right wing thing or left wing thing or whatever. So, but let's just hit some highlights. Uh, Oh, and yeah, and the reason it will most likely will not pass this year is just because we're in an election year. There are no incentives for Congress really to move, especially on anything bipartisan, because you don't want to give the other party a win right now. Going into that's such a
1: broken. That's such a broken system. I mean, that, that happens all the time. I don't understand. Like we're like, oh well. Nobody's doing anything this year, so you can just call it quits. I'm like what? Well, no. you think it's
0: bad. You think it's bad right now? Just wait till we get past November, and it's and it's a Republican Congress and you know a Democrat White House. Literally, nothing will get done for two mm. for two whole years. You know that it's a it's an extremely broken system. I you know that, completely sub, agree with
1: you. That's subreddit anti work. Have you heard of this? No. Oh, you haven't heard of this? There's like a, no. there's like a cultural movement these days of like anti-work people like you know i don't want to work blah blah blah. yeah anyway i was gonna make a joke that the congress oh, yeah congress people maybe are really anti-congress people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe
0: dude maybe they're the so they're the I writers mean, out does, there running the whole it
1: stuff. does send a bad message to the public that like that they're not that's just such a bad cultural message that's not a good thing
0: yeah anyway no, i'm totally i'm totally with you um You're going to get, you give me down a rabbit hole on that, but, um, but yeah, let's, let's touch the, let's touch the high points on, on the bill. So one thing that I thought was kind of cool, uh, kind of cool, I'll, uh, preface it with that is that they were going to try to make, uh, transactions of less than $200 U S dollars worth, make that tax free so that you could pay for things like a coffee or whatever using Bitcoin. And you don't have to worry about the reporting um, on your tax return for that. Cause right now, every, pretty much every time you, um, you transact in Bitcoin or any crypto, you're supposed to recognize a uh, gain or loss on that, which is just an absolute headache. Um, and in some cases is borderline, just not even really feasible. So, um, so anyways, $200 now, The reason I had the preface at the beginning is because I think that's too low. I think that needs to be higher. I think I was actually thinking about this. What number do I think it needs to be? Um, it's tough. Like I was kind of looking, I like 5,000. I was going to say 2000, but I like 5,000. My main thing was like, I won't be able to be able to pay their rent
1: or, Um, or buy a computer. That's the way I look at the world is mm, can you buy a computer?
0: There you go. I like that. The computer scientist. That's right. Can you buy a computer? and not pay taxes on so um so yeah that that piece is i think a step in the right direction to at least allow because even in the case of like you know with what we talked about earlier this week with the fountain um and sending people satoshis for for the content they're creating um, you're really still not incentivized to do that because at the end of the year, you have to calculate like, okay, I sent this podcast, you know, a 10th of a penny on this day. What was the value of Bitcoin at that time? And how much did I pay for those Satoshis originally? I mean, it is just so on the micropayment side, it is just how the law is written right now. It didn't just really, uh, just really hurts the micropayment um, model. So something like this would help that a ton, even if it was only 200 bucks. But again, I say, let's just go go big and yeah, make that higher at first. Um, and the other big things are they're trying to place certain cryptos, like certain assets into um, which camp the that they are going to um, which camp of like regulatory body that they're going to be subject to? Um, so one thing that was kind of interesting to me at least was the um, they put Bitcoin and um, ethereum to be governed and overseen by the CFTC. So and then pretty much everything else so meaning those two are commodities in the in the eyes of this bill and then pretty much everything else is viewed as a security and would be, um, overseen by the SEC, so that's kind of interesting. I know that um, I know we kind of chatted a little bit about that um, when you in the loss in take. the loss yes. So, but you had some thoughts, I think, on the Ethereum being treated as a commodity. Um, I mean, my basic take is that if it goes to proof of stake, then it seems very much like it is a uh, security. And we kind of went over, we can go over that Howie Howie test as well once more. But yeah, maybe you still stick by that?
1: Well, I'm not sure the Howie test is even relevant, to be honest. But
0: I hear people refer to the Howie test all the time when it comes to this. Yeah, but
1: that's, I think that's all theater, in my opinion. Okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, the okay. So the way I see it is like, security versus a commodity. Like there is no well-defined, there is no line in, in the in the middle. It's a gray space. And uh, for example, people don't commonly talk about this or accept this, but you can be um, prosecuted for insider trading of commodities. It's possible that that can happen. Um, typically people think insider trading, they think securities, but it's also possible to do with commodities. Um, so when I think about securities versus commodities, I think about what's the degree of manipulation? How easy, how easy is it to manipulate the price of the asset? Um, and because you know, if you take the extremes of both end, you have on one extreme securities, you have stocks which the board of directors of a company can just issue new stock. So they can already print money. Right. Now that's obviously high, high level of manipulation. Um, and then on the other side of the extreme are things like physical resources, such as oil, there's no way for people to manipulate ha- the, the oil in our environment. I mean, there are, there are ways, I'm not going to say that there aren't ways to man- game the system, but there's no way to manipulate the quantity of oil or like how much oil is coming out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a little sour. I don't think that Ethereum deserves the, the title of commodity mostly because, I mean, the biggest thing that I see is two things. The, the founding story of Ethereum is very much like a startup like even if you mm-hmm. go back and watch the tapes like it was like a company like they were raising money and like they were yeah you know it's uh the if, if you go back to 2016 and you say that ethereum is a commodity you'll be laughed out of the room okay laugh <laughs> now there's a, there's an argument to be made that like there's a that was a long time ago and it's no longer relevant okay maybe um, but more importantly, the issue I take with Ethereum as a, as a commodity is the degree of influence that the developers have, the core developers, like the fact that they merged EIP 1559 last August, the London hard fork and adjusted right. the mo- adjusted the monetary policy. Like, I'm sorry, but are you going to tell me that they, they, they could have not, that, that would not have gone through like the fact, the fact that. There is so much established confidence that there will be no hard fork whenever they move to proof of stake. Um, let me give some context here. In my opinion, proof of work is what the market would choose. The, the market will, will not naturally choose proof of stake. And so and yet there is this overwhelming confidence that, um, and sorry, let me give more more context there's a possibility that Ethereum forks whenever they move to that that scenario. And you have market participants which say, no, 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 we want to stay on the proof of work. And then you have market participants which say, okay, we're gonna move to proof of stake. You would fork and you would have two assets in that scenario, which Mm -hmm. is a whole different thing. Anyway, the point I'm trying to prove is that the fact that there is overwhelming consensus that they're gonna move to proof of stake with no issue, That tells me that the Ethereum foundation has an outsized influence on the trajectory of the Ethereum, the asset. So when you talk about manipulation, I take issue with that. Okay, let's give the other side of the argument. The other side of the argument is that they don't want to stifle innovation, and I don't want that either. You don't want there to be a huge um, burden, for exchanges and participants of ethereum to have to report things and blah 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 it's the same thing with the tax the tax laws you were just talking about
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you don't want to stifle innovation <clears throat> um so yeah i mean i don't know we'll see i mean i don't think i don't think the jury's out i think that ethereum is still on a chopping block but i do think that i do think that we most the most likely outcome is that Ethereum will be dubbed a commodity in in the same way that Bitcoin is. I don't know. In my opinion, that maybe it's not even a good thing for for Ethereum. So okay, who knows?
0: But like, if they, but if they initially say they're a commodity, Ethereum, and then they go to proof of stake, I guess we just just watch. I'm not a I'm not a. I don't think an I think the SEC like the, the SEC.
1: Yeah, I'm not an if expert it can bounce either.
0: back and forth.
1: But my guess would be if they're established as a commodity, it would not matter if they moved to proof of stake. They would still be a commodity. Just because there's just, oh, my, my intuition is that the legal frameworks, there's just so much momentum to, to break that, <clears throat> that it just wouldn't be broken. It would still be a commodity. Hmm. That's why, I, I mean, I talked about this several episodes back. I mean, my tinfoil hat theory is that they're delaying the merge because they want to be dubbed a commodity first. Yeah. (laughs) There's no, (laughs) look, I don't understand this. Okay, let me tell you as a computer scientist, Mm -hmm. you're going to hear this narrative. You're going to hear, oh, there's so much complexity and we don't know how this is going to work. And there's always, oh, they use all these words, which are so crazy. Yeah. As a computer scientist, I'm telling you right now, there is no reason why the merge shouldn't have already happened from a complexity standpoint,
0: right? So it's yeah.
1: all just it's all political. Hmm.
0: Okay, well, sorry. Okay, no, that's no, no, that's it's really interesting. I'm uh, I've just got something pulled up too. It looks like uh, Gary Ginsler has already given some of his thoughts. So he uh, suggests this is a CoinDesk. Um, article that came out two days ago that uh, the bill may undermine market protections. So that'll be something interesting to watch too. Is like, how does he weigh in on, on it? Cause the, the thing about this is like, I don't know how much to even spend on this, how much time because it's like, even if it does pass, what actually passes at the end of the day is going to look a whole lot different than what this initial bill says. So um, I think it's just something that we can keep on the radar and follow and it's probably going to be something. Um,
1: Sorry, can I can I say? I just want to say one more thing about yeah. Ethereum.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, go for it.
1: Okay, I think um, a a possible um, effect of Ethereum being dubbed a commodity is that it's going to very much restrict the the trajectory of Bitcoin because people because wall street will start seeing those two as the same thing Mm -hmm. and they are not. And as we all know, they're very much not the same thing. They're very much trying to solve different problems. Um, and so, um, you'll just get this financialization of the two, the same, like let me put it this way. Bitcoin right now is heavily correlated with risk assets, tech stocks, things like this Mm -hmm. that will just, continue on into the future. Now, eventually it will break in my opinion, but it may take a lot longer. If, if they group Ethereum and Bitcoin together, then I think it's gonna, I think you're gonna see a correlation for a lot longer. Now, I don't know. I'm not an expert by any means, but I do know that that's logically consistent. And if I were a regulator that wanted to suppress the price of Bitcoin, I would probably dub Ethereum a commodity. That would probably probably be in my best interest.
0: Yeah. Well, let's just run over a couple other. There's a a couple other points. So um, they're trying to clarify the meaning of a crypto broker. So they're trying to protect wallet providers, software developers. Um, So that's good because I know that was a big part of. Still, I think is actually being, I think that was part of the infrastructure bill. But then, um, you know, these bills get passed and then they go to, um, they go to like, at least in the tax world, right? Then it goes to the um, regulator body that actually writes the regulations based on the law. So it's like this whole, pretty much their interpretation of Congress's law. So Mm, um, interesting. Yeah. So, anyways, the uh, the crypto broker definition. I'm glad that they are um, seeking to clarify that. Um, then it doesn't automatically set up a self regulatory organization, um, but it does call for for a study from the SEC and CFTC uh, and a proposal for starting one. So this would be similar to like Finra as is to like the uh, financial um, industry. So mm. so they're not
1: they're not proposing because there was talks at the time that they were going to pr- propose like a dedicated, Body. essentially something like adjacent to the SEC and the CFTC.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, I actually, it's so weird. I think maybe for like reg for all the other cryptos, but I just think for Bitcoin, it just fits. It just, in my, you know, uh, view as it is right now. I just see Bitcoin fitting so easily into the CFTC, and then I could see maybe having like a separate branch of the SEC that governs um, other cryptos. So have you, like, have
1: you heard? Um, have you heard Baloggy talk about this? No, Baloggy is like the systems are inherently not set up to to regulate digital technologies like this because digital technologies scale to insane degrees i mean you can create a new coin i could create a new coin post on binance if i wanted to probably yeah in a week um so but then like but, but governments are like very slow moving right? governments right. are tra- traditionally top down and what we're what we're describing here is more like a bottoms up thing
0: it's all, and it's not even just the governments, it's the banking system too. Like yesterday, I met with uh, their not for profit. I'm doing some some uh, pro bono work for them to get their books in order. Oh, that's and nice. guy needed, um, I, I was like, I need the bank statements. Like, that's kind of like the starting place for me to start building a set of books for this year. And he was like, I have a couple of them, but I don't have all of them. So then, We call the bank and I'm like, and he doesn't have online access. This guy's very like, I don't even know if the dude has an email address. So anyways, all I'd say though, I needed some bank. I just needed the transactions, right? I needed Mm -hmm. the history of the transactions. And in order to get that, I had to get him to write a letter. Then I had to physically drive that over to the bank yesterday and then sit with someone for a little while. And then they eventually emailed me over the bank statements. But it's like, that was just another example. Anytime I deal with a bank, I'm like, wow, Bitcoin solves all of this because I could have just gone into, you know, into the blockchain and pulled from his address all the transactions I needed. But anyways, so yeah, the incentives politically and just, it feels like the incentives all around us are for like nothing to get fixed and like status quo to be maintained and life life to not flourish as much as it could. Um, so, cause you know, if I could have just looked into the transactions um, right then and there, how much time would I have saved? What could I have done with that time? Right. So anyways, that's a little bit of a, a little bit of a, uh, whatever you call it. Tangent golf course. Yeah. Tangent. <laughs> so. Um, all right. And then the last little bit that I'll read off um, and then we might, We might stay here for a little bit but there's um there is a note in here about the terra stuff so it says in light of the recent traumatic um or dramatic collapse of terra usd one closely examined aspect of the bill will be its move toward quote 100 reserve asset type and detailed disclosure requirements for all payment stable coin issuers there would be a framework for banks and credit unions to issue stable coins, but issuers wouldn't have to become deposit, depository institutions. The lawmakers insist that, quote, existing stablecoin issuers and new entrants into the market have an adequate opportunity to compete with existing banks and credit unions, end quote. So that's also very interesting. I think that's going to end up being a big part of this whole um you know, this whole political landscape is what happens with the stable points.
1: For sure. And how does take. that,
0: how does that fit into the current banking model? Like that's, that's a whole wormhole. I feel like if, of, of, uh, I, I couldn't tell you how that's going to work out, but it's, but it's interesting.
1: The, the company to watch here or the person to watch is, um, Caitlin Long.
0: Caitlin and Long. Okay. You I thought familiar, you were going to say Doquan.
1: Are you familiar with Caitlin Long? No, I
0: don't think so. Yeah,
1: Cus, Custodia, I think, is their bank. It's a it's a bank in Wyoming, and they are focused on digital assets. Hmm. They're, they're in close coordination with uh, Lemus.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. They do great work. Okay, so it's essentially where you could go open a more traditional bank, uh, with them, but it's with crypto as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's, uh, I think it's strictly digital assets. So I don't think that they even are doing non-digital assets. Um, but they, if you, if you've been, I've been following Caitlin long for a few years now and she's always, she's very staunch in, um, full reserves. Yeah. Um, and you cannot and, and rehypothecation is a bad thing. She's been she's been shouting from the rooftops for a long time now. The the problems of rehypothecation, which we've recently seen, that mm-hmm. uh, uh, she was right. Right. I mean, eventually yeah. she's always she's going to be always right. And then the other thing that she hasn't really been proven right yet, but I think that uh, if if history shows anything, she will be, is uh, leverage. So she's been saying for a long time the exchanges offer way too much leverage and that's an issue specifically Mm -hmm. i'm i'm looking at uh some some exchange that is down in the bahamas we'll just put it that way
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay well we'll keep an eye on all that that's really interesting i've got their website pulled up i'm going to dig into caitlin long custodia all right cool let's um okay we've got Ten minutes or so. Let's jump in. Let's talk about this Coin Center um, uh, lawsuit. So, um, so essentially, Jerry Brito, he's the executive director of um, Coin Center. They sued the U.S. Treasury on Friday last week. Whatever day that was. Um, and what they're, what they, why they're suing is pretty much a portion of the infrastructure bill from last year, there were four crypto provisions that were kind of, um, put into that bill, um, which is normal, right? Like these bills, they have their like names and people are like, oh, infrastructure, that's like bridges and roads and um, stuff like that. It's like, yes, some of that, but then there's a lot of other stuff too. So, um, essentially there's one part of the infrastructure bill where, they're trying to apply a current law to the crypto industry starting in January of 2024. And, um, basically, um, there's laws on the books right now in the tax law where if, if, uh, anyone exchanges over $10,000 of physical cash, um, there's reporting requirements. Um, you know, your social, secu- the person's social security number who gave you the 10,000 or more, um, their name like all this personal information about them right and what the what the government's trying to do is you know um uh, they're assuming if you're transacting in that that amount of cash or more uh, physical cash that you're doing something illicit so um or something illegal so so anyways um jerry's organization is you know it's full of researchers and um people in the in the legal side, and they are pretty much saying this is unconstitutional, um, based off of the First Amendment, so freedom of association, and then, um, and then the Fourth Amendment, uh, unreasonable search and seizure, and so, um, so anyways, they uh, pretty much, I'll just say for Coin Centers, like just take their business model, they're not for profit, they have a their bit Bitcoin address where people send them Bitcoin. So what it would uh, essentially do to them if this bill were to uh, stand as is and not be and then lose this challenge is it would force them to uh, hand over their donor list pretty much Um, because they would they would have to get all this information from anyone who sends money to them on their Bitcoin address and then subsequently hand that over uh, to the uh, Treasury and um, yeah, I think this. I think this should worry everyone um, because essentially, it can be politicized, and and this can happen to people on both sides of the spectrum. So this isn't like a right or left thing. It's just um, pretty much a freedom tr- to transact kind of thing, and not having the government know um, all these details that really they just don't have any business knowing about. So, so, anyways, no matter what you think about that. Um, I think it's, I think it's definitely interesting. Um, They started, so they talked to their attorneys. Um, They're out of DC, pretty much Northern, Northern Virginia, DC area. And their attorney said it's probably going to be best for us to start in the sixth circuit court, which is um, either Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, Michigan, I think. And so anyway, Michigan,
1: that's interesting. I think it goes all the way up
0: there. Yeah. It's kind of like a,
1: but it's not like Indiana.
0: don't think indiana's in there i could look up i know for sure tennessee um and kentucky but um essentially jerry got in contact with a guy in um, lexington who runs a bitcoin company and so he's got three co-co-plaintiffs from um the lexington area and so they are um yeah they're starting the they're starting it there and then my understanding is that um, no matter what happens um, either if the, if coin center lose, loses or if the Treasury loses on that first go around, it it'll go to the appeals court and um, eventually could make its way all the way up to the uh, Supreme Court so um, and essentially what they're trying to do is is make sure that that law is not applied and that people can essentially give can transfer over ten thousand dollars if of uh, crypto without this un- this overburdensome reporting requirement. So, so anyways, very interesting stuff. Um, I think we're gonna see more and more of this where, where some laws that are already on the books are trying, they're gonna try to um, subvert crypto to them and then there's gonna be pushback. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting, but it's cool that it's happening in the state of Kentucky too. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, represent
1: represent
0: yeah so we will uh, we'll keep an eye on that i'm sure all this will move move pretty slowly um but yeah we'll link i'll we'll link the uh, coin center they have an article about it too that they put out earlier in the week um if anybody wants to go through they actually i would be curious if they put out a podcast episode they they put out a podcast episode every once in a while. Um, I haven't,
1: I haven't seen it pop up, so, but uh, surely they yeah. would, surely they should.
0: Yeah, this is a big deal for them. This is probably like, well, probably one of the bigger um, moves that they've made as an organization. The so, podcast
1: is called Tangents from Coin Center. I will link yeah. it in the show notes.
0: Yeah, and there is a two part. Um, there's a two part. Uh, uh, episode of the infrastructure bill that was released october november of last year so so anyways that will be very cool
1: indeed indeed
0: it literally says dan Carmen coin center raymond walsh quiet industries corp versus janet yellen <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was kidding. I literally thought he was kidding. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. So what are you,
1: are you looking at the actual, what are you looking at right now? I'm looking
0: at the, um, at the filing. So it's on there. It's on the uh, it's at the bottom of that um, of that article. The uh, coin center has filed a court challenge against the U S treasury over unconstitutional financial surveillance. If you go down a little bit, you could see like US District Court, Eastern District of Kentucky, Lexington Division. And then it's it literally says Dan Garman versus Janet Yellen in her official capacity as Secretary of the Treasury.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: He's, right, just doing, cool.
1: he's doing his uh civil service, you know. Yes, with I something agree. that we all we all gotta do as uh as citizens. Stick yeah. up for, stick up for what's right.
0: For sure. Well, I think those those last two pieces are just great news of uh, just some really interesting like political um, things that are happening in the space. I know Kendall and I walked out of the Bitcoin conference earlier this year and we said that this is like a political movement. Um, so this, this ties in, both of those topics tie in with this or with that idea. And now it's just a matter of continuing to move the ball forward. So because like it or not i mean there's going to have to be a lot of stuff that happens in dc for for uh, the adoption to continue at this point so
1: yep all right well that was a double header yeah one week
0: love it all right guys thanks so much for listening and we will uh, we'll talk to you very soon